are listening to the Stories of an Unschooling Family podcast. Hi, I'm Sue Elvis, and this is episode 54. And today I'd like to talk about attachment parenting and unschooling, the connection between the two, because I think that one flows into the other. But before I talk about that, I'd like to just talk a little bit about last week, a few of the things that happened in our family. It was a busy week. I'm sitting here on Sunday morning recording this podcast, and I usually record it either Thursday or Friday. But last week was very busy, and I didn't find a chance to sit down and talk. We had a few things like piano lessons on, but on Wednesday we had a big trip out to the city. My daughter Imogen drove us all up to the big shopping centre in a city close by so that we could all do some Christmas shopping. We don't go there very often. We're not big shoppers and we don't really like the traffic getting up there, having to find a car parking spot and then wading through lots and lots of shops. Now we prefer to do our shopping locally. But we thought we'd go on a big adventure. There's shops up in the city that we don't have. And as we found out, they have lots of things that our shops don't sell. And we found some quite nice things to buy each other for Christmas. So the girls and I had a wonderful day out together on Wednesday. We had morning tea out and lunch out. A big shopping day. We discovered that the mall that we went to is much too big because by the time we walked from one end of it to the other and back again a few times, our feet were hurting. And we don't plan to go there for another year, but it was, as I said, an adventure for us. Maybe not for a lot of people who go there every week, but we're glad we went and we've done our most of our Christmas shopping now. Yeah, but I don't think we'll be going back anytime soon. One other thing that happened in the week that I really enjoyed was going to have coffee with my son Callum, who's 23. If you've been listening to my podcasts, you know, you will know that he and Casey got married earlier this year. But he still comes home and has a bit of catch-up time with me, and we just went up to a local coffee shop and spent an hour or so chatting, catching up with each other's news. I also had something to give him. Last Sunday, my girl said to me, you must make Callum and Casey a salt dough advent wreath, Mum, just like ours. It's become a bit of a tradition in our family to have a salt dough advent wreath, and they thought that as Callum had moved out of home and was setting up his own traditions for Christmas, he ought to have a wreath just like ours. So I made him one. I really enjoyed making it. I'm not a arty, crafty person, really. I'd rather sit on the computer and do something than actually get my hands involved with anything, uh, sewing or making them dirty, doing salt dough, stuff like that. But I'm really glad I made the effort. I did enjoy molding the Advent wreath and I got a certain satisfaction from seeing it come together and it looks quite impressive. Not because I'm a good craftsperson, but because salt dough is such a wonderful medium for molding and I think anybody could make a salt dough Advent wreath. And if you are interested in making one, maybe for next year if it's too late for now, or you could make one for Christmas because we swap our purple Advent candles for white candles on Christmas Day and we keep on using our wreath right until the end of the Christmas season. So if you are interested in salt dough, I'll put a link on my blog in the notes 
to a recipe and the instructions. Now, one of the questions that we get asked a lot at this time of year is, have you finished for the year? Have you finished all your schoolwork and are you winding down to Christmas? We find this is a really funny question because when do you ever finish learning? And are other people who have different styles of homeschooling are busy finishing off their maths chapters or winding up all the projects they're involved with. And maybe their parents are saying, well, when you've completed this, this and this, you can finish up for the school holidays. But we find that our learning just changes naturally as we approach things like Christmas. Yeah, we're not doing so much of some things, but we're doing other things. We're continuing to be busy. But I guess there are a couple of things that we will be finishing up with, and I'm looking forward to finishing up with record keeping. I probably will go back to my records over the Christmas period if there's something interesting the girls are doing that I want to keep a memory of. I'll probably head back to my notebooks and add some photos, a few notes, maybe a couple of links, but I won't feel obliged to do it. I'll only do it if I really want to. Also, things like piano lessons will be finishing soon. Another week or so of those, and we won't have to go into town anymore. And the girls will take a break from practicing. I guess that will be nice. It is nice to have a change in routine, not have have to go out into town regularly. We can do something else on those days. But my daughters, Imogen and Charlotte, my older two at-home girls, Charlotte is 18 and Imogen is 21. They have finished up for the year and looking forward to Christmas. So what have they been doing? Well, Charlotte has successfully done her higher school certificate substitute. All the children in school in their final year of school, year 12, sit an examination called the higher school certificate. And then the results of that examination can be used if they want to go to uni or get a job, whatever. But it gives them some sort of qualification, something to say they finished year 12 and to show how well they did in their subjects. So will not having an HSC disadvantage them? I guess some sort of qualification to get into university, if that's what they want to do, is useful. And that's why my children have been doing open university units in their final sort of official year of schooling. Open university units are a recognised way of getting an alternate qualification to the HSC. If our children do two or three units, the results of those units will give them a score, which can be used uh, if they want to apply to an on-campus university, for example. The score could also be used when seeking employment as well, I'm sure. So Charlotte has completed her first two open university units. She got a high distinction for the first unit. The results of the second unit haven't come back yet, but she knows from her assignment marks that she's going to get a good mark for the overall unit. So she will end up with a good score. So what's she going to do with her score? Well, I think she wants to continue on studying through Open University, doing her degree online, the same as Imogen did, because this will give her the freedom to use her time as she likes. She'll be able to do other things around the degree. 
And this is what Imogen did. Imogen was able to keep up her music studies at the same time as studying for her degree. She also has been able to write. She's done NaNoWriMo three times each year as well. She's had time for her novel writing. So Imogen is finishing up as well. She has just finished her complete degree, professional writing and publishing. She has a Bachelor of Arts degree. And now she's going to have a break over Christmas before she gets on to the next stage of her life. So Charlotte and Imogen have finished up for Christmas and they're looking forward to a few weeks break. Imogen said she could have applied for a job by now and then headed straight into the workforce. But what she really wants to do is have some free time to explore some of those interests that she has got in the planning stage but hasn't had time to actually put into action. She wants to make a music video for a start, finish editing one of her novels. She's working on a Kindle edition of one of my novels. She just wants a few weeks break before moving on. And I can understand this because she has worked really hard for the past three years. Her online course semesters have been back-to-back. There's been no break whatsoever between them. If kids go to on-campus universities, they usually get semester breaks, and they usually get a really long break over the Christmas period, which is our summer. But she's had none of that. She has gone straight from one unit to the next one and had no holidays unless, of course, she's worked ahead and gained herself some free time because she has worked extra hard. So I think she does deserve a Christmas off. And I do think that it'll be good for her to have that time to explore a few of the things that she really wants to do in the future. Charlotte has a lot of plans for the Christmas break as well. She's already been working on her animations using Blender and Unreal Engine. And she's also drawing the illustrations for my second Angels book, which I hope to publish early next year. So that's a few of the things that are going on around here at the moment. Now on to the main topic that I want to talk about, attachment, parenting and unschooling. Now before I begin, I think my thoughts might be a bit disjointed. It's a huge subject with lots of things to think about and I probably go here, there and everywhere as I'm mulling it over. How can we talk about such a big subject in only a few minutes in a podcast? But maybe my thoughts will lead to other thoughts and we can continue the discussion maybe on my blog or in a further podcast. And of course, I would be really interested to hear your ideas as well, if my ideas have led to some thoughts of your own. Now, why am I thinking about attachment parenting? Well, the other day, I posted the link to a blog post out of my archive. It's called, How to Have Demanding Children Who Rule the House. I just dug it out of my archive and thought that I'd like to send that one round again. Maybe some people hadn't read it. And it got a huge response. I was thinking about all those things that people say when you have a baby. Things like, you're not feeding that baby again, are you? And if you feed your baby to sleep, she'll never learn to go to sleep on her own. It won't hurt her to cry. You're not giving in to her again, are you? 
And if you carry your baby around all the time, she'll never want to be put down. All these sort of comments, I'm sure that a lot of people get them. People say, you're spoiling her. You're making a rod for your own back. You've got to show her who's the boss. You're in charge. She'll end up ruling the house, you know. Yeah, I think people mean well, but I think they've got it all wrong. When I had babies, I breastfed them round the clock. I don't like the word demand feeding. I fed them whenever they had a need to be fed, whenever they were hungry or thirsty. I slept with my babies, yet they slept in the same bed as me and my husband. Oftentimes, I got fed up with them kicking me and I really wanted my own space, but I did it anyway. I carried my babies around in a sling with me. I didn't put them down in a cot. They seemed happy enough, snuggled up in front of me, going where I went, being part of family life. I think part of me envied my friends who had their children in a routine, who were able to put their children in a cot and then walk off and do things of their own. And this is the way I tried to pair up my first couple of children. But somehow we ended up doing things very differently. And the only reason I think that I envied my friends was because I did get very tired at times. I did want my own space back. Sometimes I just wanted a full night's sleep. But I didn't change anything. I just kept on doing what I'd always done. I regarded the first year or so of our child's life as a time when I would make the sacrifices and my life would come back eventually, my time and that it would be worth it all. And looking back, I have no regrets whatsoever. I'm really glad that I gave my children all that attention and saw to their needs. Did they grow up to be children? Who ruled the house? Are they demanding? Well, in my blog post, as I said, yes, they did. They ruled the house. My girls won't let me do anything around here. If I want to go and help with the dishes, they tell me, go sit down, Mum. You're tired. We'll do the dishes. If I try and get the washing in off the washing line by myself, my girls always rush out and say, why didn't you tell us you were getting the washing in? We want to help. And sometimes I say to them, who's in charge around here? And they grin and they say, we are. You go and sit down. I don't mind them being in charge of the house. It is really good to be looked after. I looked after them for so many years, and now they're looking after me. Are they demanding? Well, they demand hugs all the time. Mum, can I have a hug? I get that so many times a day, right from my youngest, who's 11, up to my grown-up adult children. And even when my son Callum comes home, first thing he wants is a hug. Yes, they are demanding. They are demand hugs all the time, but I think I can live with that. So yes, I've been thinking about attachment parenting, and in particular, its connection with unschooling. Does one lead from the other? Is it a natural progression? I think both attachment parenting and unschooling can suffer from a negative image. If we see to all the needs of our children in the way I've described, people say we're spoiling our kids. Yes, making a rod for our own backs. It's not a good thing to do. 
If we unschool, people think that we are letting our children do whatever they want to, and they will become wild and uncontrolled. They will have no discipline. They won't grow up to be good citizens. But it's not really like that at all, both for attachment parenting and unschooling. I think people misunderstand. I guess this is why I like to write about unschooling. Set the record straight. Tell people that it isn't what a lot of people think it is. It's a wonderful way of life. And it doesn't produce children who are wild and uncontrollable. So I've been wondering, why doesn't attachment parenting lead to spoilt children? Surely if we see to all our children's needs, they're going to be continually demanding. Maybe when our children's needs are met, they feel right inside. They feel connected with us. And we feel connected with them because we spend a lot of time with each child. We're there on the scene with them, mostly 24 hours a day. We're always watching and responding. And we know our children very well. And this does lead to close relationships. If we have a close relationship with our child, they come to trust us. Later on, I think, because of that trust and that close relationship, we can pass on our values to our children. We can teach them what is right and what is wrong. I once had a conversation with my son Callum over coffee. We quite often go out for coffee, and we have some interesting conversations while we're drinking. On one particular day, we got talking about what makes children want to do right rather than wrong. I asked Callum his opinion. We talked about how we could use punishments to make children act as we think they should. And Callum pointed out that this only works when parents are around. Motivation to act in a right manner comes from outside a child. And he said that motivation needs to come from within a child. A child must want to do what is right and avoid what is wrong. He said that when he did something wrong, he didn't feel right inside. And he knew he had to put things right as soon as possible, because it's not a very nice feeling to feel out of sync with yourself. Out of sync with the world, I guess. But where does this right feeling come from? And he said he thought it came from being loved, loved unconditionally. I think it comes from meeting the needs of our children. One of the things I most enjoyed about having babies and toddlers was watching their relationship with their older siblings. My older children loved entertaining their younger siblings. They would spend a lot of time with them. They liked having them on their laps and putting them to sleep, playing with them, taking them for walks around the garden, giving me a break from the baby or a toddler so I could do a few things of my own by spending time with them themselves. Yeah, I think my children loved having babies and toddlers in the family. The other day I got a really lovely comment on my blog from a mother who said that she enjoys feeding her baby with her older children snuggled up each side of her. Her children are patient. They wait for the baby. They know that the baby's needs must be met. 
and that comes from being loved themselves. They know that they are loved. They've been in the same position as the baby, and now they're quite content for the baby to have his turn. They don't need to be jealous or fight for attention because they feel loved themselves. I like to think of it as love buckets. Their love buckets are full and overflowing. They can be generous and love in their own turn. I don't know if I've done justice to attachment parenting. I suspect that there's a whole lot more we could say about it. But yeah, there's a few things that I've been mulling over about how we can see to the needs of our babies and our toddlers and how that gives them a sense of right within them and how it's not really spoiling them at all. It gives them a wonderful start in life themselves so that they in turn can love other people and want to do what is right and not what is wrong. Perhaps we can talk about the connection between attachment parenting and unschooling now. Now we all know that babies are always learning. We just have to look at them. They're always trying to get through the stages of development. They want to crawl, they want to roll, they want to walk, they want to talk. They're busy people. They're always looking and learning. And my children, because I carried them around or they were in the arms of their siblings, they were in the midst of the family at all times, rather than in a cot in a room by themselves, they were always in the thick of what was going on. So they were learning always. They were always watching their older siblings. We took them everywhere we went. They slept on the go. Yeah, I didn't put them down for an afternoon nap in a room by themselves where it was quiet. They slept on my lap even when it was really noisy around them. They just got used to that. They slept in the car. They just slept where they needed to sleep. They didn't have regular hours. I didn't put them to bed at night at a regular bedtime. Usually my baby would fall asleep on my lap in the evening and then I would just get up and transfer the baby to my bed and get him myself. But because our babies were always with us, I think they had lots and lots of opportunities for learning. Their lives were really rich. And I'm sure this contributed to their development. They had lots of experiences. My older children would always be showing them things and talking to them, encouraging them along through each stage of development, smiling at them. Of course, I did all these things as well. And then when they learnt to do big milestones like learn to walk and learn to talk, their very first words, of course, we all took great delight in their achievements. I think it's the same for any family. You know, everybody understands that. We all clap and we all smile and say, wow, she said her first word. We're all really happy about it. And of course, our babies and our toddlers pick up on that. They smile too. They think they're pretty clever. And they are. But then when they reach school age, most kids go off to school and life changes. And even if they're homeschooled, Yes, it's a different stage as well. Different things are expected of that child. But what if we just continued doing what we'd always been doing with our children? What if we continued involving our children in our lives, taking them places, letting them see what we're doing, talking to them, 
introducing them to new experiences, doing exactly what we were doing when they were younger, encouraging them along, taking delight in every new stage of development. Would they continue to learn? I think the answer is of course they would. They'd be unschooling. And what if we continued to see to their needs, continued loving them unconditionally? Wouldn't they continue to feel right within themselves? Wouldn't they want to do what is right rather than what is wrong? And I'm not saying kids don't make mistakes, because of course they do. And so do adults. I make them all the time. So I'm not saying that this is going to be a perfect method for producing children who always do the right thing. But what if we forgive them for their mistakes? What if we encourage them to keep on going? What if we have a close relationship with them so that we can talk to them, that we can guide them? Wouldn't they continue to strive to be the people that they are meant to be? If anybody asks me what my main goal in writing my blog and podcasting is, what message I really want to give other people, it would be that I would want to tell them about love. I would say that love is the most important thing that we can give our children. It is so, so very powerful, and love will change the world through our children. I mull over lots of questions, and one of the ones I have been thinking about is, is unkindness ever justified? Is it okay to smack our kids, to yell at them, to get into a huge battle with them over their schoolwork maybe, to make them do things that they don't want to do? Isn't it our duty to do this, even if it is unpleasant? Aren't all those things justified, even if they are unkind? Because, of course, we don't want our children to grow up being spoilt. And that might happen if we're not firm. So, yes, unkindness might be justified. Except I don't believe that at all. I don't really think that any unkind act is justified. I really think that love has much more effect than unkindness. But love isn't letting our kids do exactly what they want to do and spoiling them. I think we have to be involved with our children's lives. It's about building up that close relationship that I was talking about, where our kids do trust us, and they want to talk to us, and they will listen to us, and they know that their mistakes will be forgiven, so that they can um, yeah, talk about them with us. They don't have to hide them. It's also about correcting our kids, but we can do that in a kind way. We don't have to point out their mistakes publicly, say, or in an unkind way. We can just talk to them with empathy, privately, give them our good example, talk about how difficult it is sometimes to do what is right. I think I talked about that in the blog post quite a long time ago. I asked my girls about this. How do they like to have their mistakes corrected? I think it's always great to talk to our kids and listen to their opinions about such things as unschooling and discipline and what works to get inside their heads, to see it from their point of view. Because we can learn so much from doing that. I think love is not just about being loved, but it's also about loving other people, wanting to love in return. And this can involve a lot of effort. It's not always easy to give of ourselves to other people. 
Sometimes we want to be loved without loving in return. But I don't think that's how unschooled children are. I don't think they are selfish and self-centered, thinking only of themselves, absorbing the love but not wanting to give any in return. I think the more we are loved, the more we want to love others, to do things for them, to give others what we have been given ourselves. So I don't think that we can ever go wrong if we love. If we have a choice, I think we should always choose the loving way. We can never harm anybody with too much love. Well, that's just some of my thoughts on attachment parenting, unschooling, and love. Sort of whizzed through those topics very quickly, pondering a few thoughts, probably very confused. But I hope they generate some discussion, get us all thinking about how we can love our children better, how we can use love to ensure that our children will become the people that they are meant to be. And us as well, because we're always striving as well, I think, to be better people. I certainly know that when I feel loved, I want to be the best mum in the whole world. And that's how my children make me feel, when they love me. Love me regardless of my mistakes. They just forgive me, keep loving me. And that's what I want to do for them. So we're almost at the end of the year. And I'm thinking of having a break from podcasting over Christmas, take a few weeks off, spend it with my family, and maybe generate some new ideas for podcasts for next year. For example, I'd really love to do a podcast on homeschool record keeping and Evernote. I know it's a really dry topic, and I know I've already talked about it in some of my podcasts, and I've written a lot of blog posts about it, and I've even made videos about Evernote and record keeping. But I'd like to do just one podcast sort of from beginning to end because I've dipped into Evernote here and there in podcasts. But I'd like to start at the beginning and do a proper podcast on the topic because people come back to me and ask me various questions which I haven't covered when I just give a little bit of a taste of Evernote. So I'd like to answer some of those questions in a podcast. If anybody is interested in that topic, perhaps you could let me know and I will will sit down and make some plans to do that one. And if there are other topics you'd like me to make a podcast about next year, please uh, visit my blog and leave me a comment and I'll do my best to think about it. So I will probably be back next week with one more podcast before Christmas. But if you haven't gone through my archive, There's 54 episodes there now. Maybe you could catch up with a few of the earlier ones if you joined my podcast partway through. I don't know what the earlier ones are like now because I haven't gone back and listened to them. Maybe they sound a bit amateurish as I was learning all about podcasting. But anyway, I can deal with that. I know some of the early ones have my children and my husband in them. Maybe they make them worth listening to. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that through iTunes. You can also follow it through Podbean or follow along with my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. I embed the episodes there every week. So I'm going to leave some links in the notes for this week's podcast, some links to maybe some blog posts about love. 
including that one about demanding children. Maybe I can also hunt out that blog post which I wrote quite a long time ago with my son Callum's input. I think it was something to do with smacking discipline in the title. I shall find that one. I do know if you Google the words unschooling and attachment parenting, you will find some articles online about this subject. I haven't read them myself. I was going to, and then I thought, no, I'll give some of my own thoughts first. I'll probably go and read them now and discover that I'm way off track and everybody else has better ideas than me. But that's okay. I can learn from other people as well. Of course, I'll leave the link to the post about the Salto Advent Wreath in the notes as well. So I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode and thank you to people who stopped by last week with comments and for their thanks for this podcast. Everybody is really very kind. And until next week, trust, respect and love unconditionally. Mm-hmm.